Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. We're in the middle of a series called Church in Crisis, and this week we're going to be picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Last week, we actually walked all the way through a chapter, and we're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And I want to tell you that this, this week, how we receive this message and how we let it work in us, let the Word of God work in us, will actually dictate how we receive the next several messages. I just want you to understand that because... We're getting into, in the coming weeks, some very triggering issues with our society. And things that the society is actually trying to silence the church on and because they're so, they're so controversial in society that they, they want to keep us quiet about speaking truth. And when we do speak truth, they attack us. And so the, the temptation is just to keep our mouth shut on these issues. Let's talk about all the other issues, but let's not talk about these issues. And we, the church, if we don't talk about the issues from a biblical standpoint, the world is going to speak about them. And they are. When they're talking about transgenderism, they're talking about mutilating children, um, they'll, they'll talk about... Uh, the, the, the Bible talks about life beginning at conception, and yet the world talks about life not. And so they have a strong stance on abortion, and they, they want to keep us... And then, then when we do address these issues of sexual immorality and uh, lust and drunkenness and all these um, homosexuality, when, when we do address them, we get labeled as bigots. And the reason why is because we're not mature enough to receive them. And they're not mature enough to receive them. And so Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, he's addressing some stuff. Right up front, and he's addressing the maturity of the saints. Because in order to have a grown-up conversation, you need to be grown up. And that means... When we get attacked for speaking truth, just because they don't want us to say it doesn't mean we shouldn't say truth in love. We act like an adult. What did Jesus say? If someone slaps you in the face, offer your other cheek. If someone curses you, bless them. The American way is a little different. If someone slaps you in the cheek, you lay him out. You know, like, if someone, if someone curses you, well, I mean, we know some of those words. But that's not the biblical way, that's not the Christian way, and that's not the mature way. And Paul is addressing this because if we want to engage our culture, we've got to be the grown-ups. One thing I've learned as a parent is I have to maintain my cool when my kids are losing their cool. When they're screaming, I have to, my blood might be boiling because I'm so mad, but what they see is, okay, Sky, 
you need to calm down. The consequences for what you're about to do is this. And I'll lay out the consequences. And then when she does it or paid in, I enact on the consequences. But you keep your cool. Because guess what? My children are five and eight. And I'm an adult. I'm not going to let them dictate to me how to act. And that's how we have to behave with the world. We got to be mature. And that's what Paul's addressing today. And so we're going to just jump right in here. It says, it says right here in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and the other one says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like the people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's important. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers. And you are God's field. You are God's building. I have one, one thought for you today. And we're going to, it kind of takes two forms, but we're going to address both. Because he kind of, he addresses two different things here in maturity. And, but they both have the same root. And the one thought is, Maturing in Jesus requires death to self. If we want to be mature in our walk with God, we've got to lay down our own way. We cannot grow deeper if, in Jesus if we can't see past the end of our own nose and our own needs. Paul says maturity brings unity and joy for one another. And then what's interesting, he says the two reasons why they aren't mature. So I'll go back and read it real quick. He says, you are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? The two proofs that he gives that they are controlled by their sinful nature are not the proofs I would have given. Fighting and jealousy are not even on probably on the list of what I would consider being controlled by the sinful nature. I would personally, I would probably look like, well, they're sleeping around, you know, that's being controlled by your flesh or 
They're, they're a drug addict. That's being controlled by their flesh. Or they're, they're, they're greedy. Or they're, there's so many other things that I would have picked. And not, not to say that those don't prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature, but the ones that he pointed out to the church to show that there's a lack of maturity in them and to show like, hey, I can't talk to you guys on a mature level because you're fighting with each other and you're jealous of each other. He's saying these are the, the, the top two reasons why you can't mature in your relationship with the Lord. I, I, I just, in my mind, I, I thought like, that, that's so interesting because he... Like, okay, they're jealous, but I mean, I didn't think like that would be that serious. But the Holy Spirit thought it was serious enough to list it here. And it is. When you, when you stop and think about what jealousy and quarreling is, it's very serious. Because once again, it's all about me. And if you're all about you, you can't be all about Jesus. If you're all about you, you can't love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to want your neighbor to love you, but you probably won't love them back. The more, like, I actually put this to a lot of thought and prayer because I was like, man, that's, that's so interesting that he brings up these two things to prove to the church that they're being controlled by their sinful nature. But really, what is sin? It's acting in obedience to self. In fact, did you know the number one, like this is like the covenant, the, the mantra, and you'll see it all the time. Like you're going to see it now all the time. But the satanic church's motto, it's thy will be done. Not thy will, but thy will. It's opposite. So Jesus said, thy will be done. And he said, die to yourself. He says, if you want to be my disciple, die to yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow me. But the satanic church pushes and the world pushes this. It's all about you. Live however you want. You should do what makes you happy. You should do the things that bring edification to you. Even if it harms you, you should do it if you want to do it. That's literally how the satanic church operates. And then you see, now you're going to see it all the time. You'll see movie stars and, and different country artists that are going to have that tattooed all over them. Because they're all about self. But Jesus is different. The kingdom is different. And this is why it's so, you, you can't be about maturing in Christ if you're all about self. Jealousy, instead of having joy for someone else who is going through a joyous moment, what, what, what jealousy does, for instance, may, I'll just give you a, a, an example. Maybe you've been praying for healing over something in your body for a very long time. And then someone suddenly gets diagnosed with something last week and they bring it before the church and they get healed this week. And you're like, this is what jealousy would do. What the heck, God? I've had this for 
15 years. You know how many times I had the church pray over me and I'm still dealing with it? And they get diagnosed last week and they get healed this week? Are you joking? That's what jealousy does. Instead of maturity in Christ, let's say, praise God. How amazing. Thank you, Jesus, that you healed her. I know mine's coming. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praising. That's what maturity does. Jealousy in the church is a death sentence because we can't celebrate past our own nose. It's only celebrated if it happens to me. No, honestly, what, what a mature believer does is say, praise God. He's a God that heals because it's all about him. Anyways, and then and what, what jealousy does, it fails you. It fails you in allowing you to see that God trusts you with affliction. The Bible says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, but jealousy won't let you have joy. It robs you of it because you think all about yourself. Instead of saying, Lord, I, I don't know why you haven't healed me, but I trust you and that you're, you're, you're growing me through this. That's what maturity says. But jealousy can't see what God is doing in other people. Then fighting amongst ourselves. This says, I'm right and you are wrong. Maturity would say, let's have a conversation. I want to hear your point of view. In fact, I, I actually just had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine who is about to plant a church. And he was sharing something I've never heard before. And I listened to it. And then in my head, I'm like, oh, let's have a discussion about this. And my friend, he's probably one of the smartest people I know. We went to CBC together. And, and sometimes I'm like, when I talk to him, I'm like, I'm out of my depth right now. But I'm still going to talk to him. But it was so cool to have a conversation about some theological things that I've never considered. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we still agreed. Like, I don't, we, we don't know how we feel about what he brought up. But we disagreed at first. But we had a conversation. But when quarreling happens, it doesn't even allow that. Like right now, I, I, I almost feel in our culture, this is a lost um, cause. If you disagree with someone politically, it just turns into a shouting match. If you disagree with someone theologically, you, instead of just having a conversation, we're on the same team. If, if, if brothers and sisters in Christ can't disagree and move forward together and still mature, what are we doing? Fighting amongst themselves. This says, I'm right, you're wrong, instead of having a conversation. Fighting holds up self above the counterpart. When, when, we have a, when we have a I'm right, you're wrong mentality, we don't care if we hurt them to be right. In the church, that can't happen. Unless it's like, there are exceptions when someone is trying to teach things that are not biblical or sound doctrine. There are times where you have to say, no, you're wrong. I love you. Let's talk. I want to help you get back to your roots and your foundation of the word of God. 
But there are times where you have to say, no, I won't allow that. But for the most part, what the Corinthian church was fighting over was so stupid. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow... No, I only follow Jesus. I'm more holy than all of you. And he's saying, you guys are missing... Why are you fighting over this when the subject matter is Jesus? Get back to your foundation. And fighting leads to offense. When I have a I'm right, you're wrong mentality, and you have a I'm right, you're wrong mentality, it's just a matter of time before that discussion becomes a fight, before it becomes, I'm going to just go out of my way to be mean. Instead of t- addressing the subject matter, they start attacking personal stuff and you. And, and that happens all the time. You see debates, it happens. And it leads to offense. I'm going to give you a really good test for maturity in your life. Because maturing in Jesus requires death to self. Here's a really good test. If we are easily offended, we are very immature. If you take offense really quickly and really easily over things said, maybe even motives or maybe like, you know, oh, well, he didn't talk to me today. He must not like me. And you get offended over stuff. You're actually really immature. That's stuff that children do. I can't tell you how many times where my daughter's come home. So-and-so didn't talk to me today. I'm like, well, did you talk to her? No. <laughs> like, like, and then the next day, like, oh, no, we're good. We're just best friends. Like, okay, cool. But we do that. Your level of offendability is directly tied to your level of maturity. So when we're easily offended, it shows that we're very immature. If you, if you, here, here's something I do. I'm going to give you a tool, and it's helped me. It's helped me a lot in life. And it's actually part, it's actually part of my, my I, I have a kind of a creed that I tell myself. It's my, my own personal declaration. But one of the things I tell myself is, I, I'm going to say it, and you, if you're taking notes, you can write it. And it, statistically, the Bible, the, um, Statistically, if you take notes, you're more than likely to go to heaven. So um, if you don't, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. But here, here, here's, a, here, here's a tool that I use, though. Give people the benefit of the doubt. I say, I give people the benefit of the doubt. I give people the benefit of the doubt. That keeps me from being offended so much. If someone said something short to me, if someone said something mean, if someone said something 
uh, or, or didn't do something, or, or maybe, you know, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're just having a really bad day, and they didn't want to talk, or maybe, you know, you know what I'm saying? You don't know what's going on in someone's life, but what, what quarreling and fighting and immaturity does is, is it allows you to create a false narrative in your mind of what they're going through, so suddenly you have a whole story for them of why they didn't talk to you, and you're like, well, they, they must not like me. They, they're probably talking about me behind my back. They probably said this about my mom, you know, all this stuff, and like, Instead of saying, you know what, I don't know what's going on in their life. I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to hold on to it. And that will keep you from a lot of offense. And if they really did mean to hurt you, well, guess what? It didn't hurt you because you got to be the bigger person. You gave them the benefit of the doubt. So we, we mature in Christ. It requires us to die to self. Paul addresses two things, that quarreling and jealousy... The test is, am I easily offended? Am I easily offended? But I want to say this about our church. And I I contemplated on whether putting this here or at the beginning, because I want to say this. Guys, you are not the same church that we stepped into four and a half years ago. You guys are such a loving church. In fact, when I talk to guests that come, um, the majority of the time, even, even, even people that, that come from out of town that they're not going to, they're not trying to out a new church. They're just, I always hear, wow, that was such a friendly church. They're so loving. Wow. Thank you. know, like that's what I hear. And, and so when I'm talking about this, like I was, I was contemplating like, God, this really doesn't, I don't feel like this applies to C1 in the sense that we're trespassing these things. I don't hear a lot of quarreling. In fact, I don't hear any quarreling amongst you guys. And quite frankly, I don't hear any jealousy. Man, when, when, when we shared the testimony about Miss Maria when she got healed a couple weeks ago, man, there was such applause. And um, God, you, we celebrate what God does. And there's a really healthy culture here. But the reality is it's still good to be reminded of these things because the enemy would like nothing more than to come in and wreck this culture. He would like nothing more to cause seeds of jealousy and seeds of quarreling to happen amongst the believers, especially when God's about to do something in our church. And I've also been contemplating on whether to share this. I've shared some things with you guys over the course of time. But before before Amy and I became pastors here, the Lord told me to pray for, for three things. And two of which are done. He told me to pray for the hurt of the church. And praise God, that's done. I believe the Lord's brought healing. We are a different church. How we interact with people are different. Like how we speak to one. It's beautiful. You guys are amazing. You guys are a loving church. I can't wait to get here to see. Man, like Miss Joy back there, I call her my rib cracker because she squeezes me every Every Sunday, I say, I'm not the only one. She, you know, she hugs everyone. If, if you guys have back problems, it's probably Joy's fault. <laughs> like, but then, then the other thing the Lord told me to pray for before I even knew about it. I, um, Mr. Randy wrote me an email explaining this after the Lord told it to me. He said, pray for the dead of the church. Well, as of 2021... December 2021, this church is debt-free, and 
by golly, we're not going to go back into debt. You're like, that's what freedom. You know, we paid a million dollars on a million, we paid a million dollars in interest on a million dollar loan. And God set us free from that. We're not going back into bondage. And because of that, you know, we're able to give more. We're able to do, reach into our community more. We're not married to a bank. Praise the Lord. But the third thing the Lord told me would happen. And I don't know how long it's going to take. God can make it happen next week. I don't think this, that it wouldn't be healthy if he did make it happen next week. I think it's going to happen in a healthy way. But he told me that this church will have 600 people in it. That means we might have to go to three or four services. Like, like well, I don't know if I can go to three or four services. Well, we don't want you to go to three or four services. We want you to go to one service and then give up that seat for someone else that needs to come in. But, yeah, you look around like, I don't see that happening right now. But I believe God's, because he already did two of the three. I didn't know how many people were in attendance here. The Lord woke me up and told me that. When I was still a youth pastor, before you guys even voted on me, before I even spoke for the first time, the Lord, I've never said this to you guys corporately. And I'm, Amy and I are in this for the long haul. We're going to see this through. My dream for this church, hear me out on this church, my dream would be to retire from here and pass it off to one of my children. I, oh, gosh, that, that gets me fired up. Maybe Pastor Nathan could be the in-between. I don't know. He's a fuser. But that's my dream. We're here to see God's kingdom grow in Columbia, and we're here to bless other churches. We're here to see God's kingdom grow corporately. And I, I just wanted to say that. So what we're talking about today, it might not apply right now. But it's good to be reminded of these truths because God is going to grow his kingdom through this church. He's already doing it. The fact that our church gave 90,000 plus to missions is a miracle. There are churches that run thousands that don't give half of what we gave to missions. That's a miracle. And God is going to do something with that. And I want us to get excited, and now we have something to pray for. God, give us 600. What an impossible prayer to pray. But you know what God's really good at doing? The in. Believe with me. Imagine if our faith, my faith, and your faith came together, and we started praying corporately. God, give us the 600. And I don't want church people. Church people have already been trained. They're already saved, possibly. <laughs> I want people who are far from the kingdom. I want people that don't know Jesus. I want people, I want the homosexual to come into our door and feel the love of God and repent and he changes their life. I want the drug addict to lay down the needles. I want the demon possessed to manifest right down here and get delivered. Amen. I want that. 
And if you don't want that, this would be a good time. There is a great church right downtown named Destiny. There's a church on the other side of the town. But I'm, I'm being serious. That's what, we, that's what we should be praying for. It's always helpful to hear, though, what stunts our maturity. My dad used to tell me all the time that if I drink coffee, it'd stunt my growth. Imagine how tall I would be if I didn't. No, but this stuff can stunt our maturity in Christ. Jealousy and quarreling. Paul then addresses something that we can all be guilty of. He says... The next thing he says, aren't you living like the world when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul? I'm a follower of Apollos? So he says, jealousy and quarreling shows that we're following our flesh. Then he says, following celebrity is living like the world. Isn't that the truth? You can't turn on the news. What do the news talk about? They talk about celebrities. Oh, this is what so-and-so ate for lunch. Oh, oh, did you see what they wore to the, you know, like... All they do is talk about celebrities. And then we can be guilty of that. What we follow, we, we, what we follow will dictate our, our walk with the Lord. And the church in Corinth was following people who proclaimed Jesus instead of following Jesus. If you want to follow someone famous, follow the most famous person who's ever lived, Jesus Christ. Concern yourself with Jesus Christ. Set your mind on Jesus Christ. But we can be guilty of this. We follow political parties. We follow uh, uh, political uh, politicians. We follow sports teams. We, and there's nothing wrong with rooting them. There's no, like, but, but when we make that our focus, when we make that who we are, when we put our identity in that, like the Corinthian church was putting their identity in Apollos, Paul, instead of in Christ, it, it wrecks our walk with the Lord. And he's saying, you're living like the world when we follow things that are not God. And then he hits on this. He says, I planted a seed. Apollos watered the seed but God makes the seed grow. The maturity process isn't about who plants. It's not about who waters. It's about the growth. And how does a seed grow? And it's interesting that Paul didn't hit on this. But praise God, Jesus in his infinite wisdom did in John chapter 12. This is what Jesus said in John 12. He says, Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And my father will honor anyone who serves me. And then he says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very hour. This is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name.
Jesus talks about the very thing that we're talking. He's talking about spiritual maturity. Submitting yourself to the Lord. Dying to your, if you want to mature in Christ, you must die to yourself. That seed, some of us need to do what the seed does. We need to get alone in a dark place and die. You know, it's so interesting that Jesus said this. And then years later, science found out, oh, that's actually how a seed works. But there's a casing around the seed that if it's in light, it won't crack. But when you put it down in the ground, completely alone, and you water it, it allows that casing to die for new life to grow. And some of us don't want to die to our old self. And it's stunting our maturity in Christ. But when we learn to die to ourself, it will allow a new harvest to come out of our life. In fact, suddenly we're not about ourselves. We're about other people. We're about his glory. Then Jesus prayed this very interesting prayer. He said, Father, bring glory to your name. That is a, uh, that's a very interesting prayer because in order for the Father to bring glory to his name through Christ, that means Christ had to be all about the Father. There couldn't be an ounce of Jesus' own will. It had to be all about the Father. And guess what happened? <laughs> when Jesus prayed that prayer, the skies thundered and a voice came out and it said, I did glorify my name, and I have glorified my name. And then Jesus said, that voice wasn't for me, it was for you. What an example. Jesus is about to be killed, the most gruesome death in human history. And he's laying his will down. Obviously, Jesus worked at, walked in perfect maturity and humility, and he's our example. He, the Son of God, God incarnate, had to die to himself in order to walk out the will of God. Believe it or not, Jesus didn't want to be crucified. He chose to be, but he didn't want to be. Well, that doesn't seem right. Go read the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, could you take this cup from me? But not my will, your will be done. And then after he made that confession, not my will, your will be done. Suddenly, his conversation with, with uh, Pilate changed a little bit. He said, Pilate said, you have a, I have the authority to kill you. And Jesus says, no one takes my life. I lay it. But he can, only, he can only say that after he submitted his will to the Father. He came into agreement with the will of God. Not that he ever walked out of agreement with the will of God, but he wrestled. He had to walk in maturity. Maturity is dying to self 
You can't mature in Christ if you don't die to yourself. So what's our takeaway? What's our takeaway? We have a choice today what we're going to do with the seeds that are planted in us. We can choose we can choose to to, to not let it die <laughs> and not let it grow or we can We can humble ourselves, say, Father, glorify your name in me. That means I don't want any of my own glory. I want your will to be done. I want, I want you to work through me. Or we can, we can just take this as another message and, you know, do our normal thing. Leave this place, go to Poncho's, not think about it again. And, uh, but, but I, 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 for one, I want to walk out of here mature. I want to walk out of here thinking, how can I lay myself down for Jesus to get glory? So, in response, we have a choice how we leave this place. I don't ever think that a true response to a message is crying our eyes out at an altar. If you need prayer, we will be up here to pray with you. But the true response to the word of God is how we walk out of here and live the word of God. And so if you're here today, you've never given your heart to Jesus. So the first act of surrender is making Jesus Lord of your life. Romans 10 9 through 10 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So maybe you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus. We confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. that It's that simple. God wants a relationship with you. And he wants to grow you in that. He doesn't want us to be stuck on milk our whole life. He wants us to mature. He doesn't want us jealous. He wants us to celebrate. He doesn't want us fighting. He wants us to have communication. He wants to mature us in our walk to where we can talk about deep things so we can spur one another along in our faith. So we can have faith-filled dreams. Some of us heard what I said earlier about 600 and you're wrestling with it. How can that be? Because you're not mature. Because your, your, your faith is so little that you can't, you know, like, how, how can God do that? And some of you heard that and it sparked in you. Yes, God can do that. He can move through this place like that. What's in front of us is greater than what's happened before. And it sparked your faith. But what if we all walked out of here sparked and mature? So what I want to do is let's stand. 
I think a great way to spark our faith is declaring praise before the Father. And if you need prayer, we're going to be up here to pray with you. If you need to give your life to Jesus, we will be... Just as they're singing, as they're singing, step out and come forward. I'm going to be up here. Amy and and, um, Pastor Nathan is going to be up here. And we want to pray with you. We We want to lead you. But let... There's something about praise that just makes me feel like nothing's impossible. Even earlier, we, I asked those questions and had a big issue. And then I said, but do you believe that God can? You're like, yeah. There's something about praise that raises our faith. So let's praise God. And if you need prayer, we'll be available.